we might not hear about a new Pac-12 media deal until late spring or early summer, and that doesn't change much for Oregon. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your normal one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, or leave a five-star review, maybe a comment over on Apple Podcasts if you'd be so kind. Some of you have done that. Appreciate all of you. If you've already done so, thank you so much. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So this this ev- non, non-stop, never-ending, ongoing, continuous cycle and speculation and just it's it's just a it's a chaotic, it's the wild west out there, it seems. Anybody can say anything. You know, it's like the, there's a scene in B movie where uh, Jerry Seinfeld's B, Barry Benson, his parents are arguing and just yells out, I'm, I could say anything I want right now. I'm going to get an ant tattoo and all this other stuff. Right. And like, that's what it feels like. Everyone can just say anything because we, we we'd been hearing for weeks from Pac-12 presidents, from athletic directors, from, you know, reporters and anonymous sources and all this sort of stuff that the Pac-12 media deal was in its final stages. And now it appears that it's not. And we could be waiting till early spring or late spring or early summer before the deal comes down. And I don't think this changes anything for Oregon. I really don't. Now, the one thought that I I did have is, okay, maybe that would give the Big Ten time to go hire a new commissioner, which they still haven't done. Oregon now has a new university president. But as I understand it, it's the interim president who will be voting to ratify the new media rights deal or or vote to not to, right, and sign uh, Oregon's grant of rights for the athletics broadcasts, which is something the Pac-12 is uh, obviously going to see from Oregon, Washington, and the other eight schools and any expansion schools they end up adding. But because, and I'm sorry I forgot her name, the interim president, has been there as a part of these meetings for so long, she's the one who's going to have the vote and the incoming president is not. So that combined with the fact that we don't know who the Big Ten commissioner is going to be, I highly, highly, highly doubt Oregon will leave for the Pac-12. In fact, I'm almost certain that, or for the Big 12 rather, I'm almost certain they will not leave for the Big 12. I don't think this changes the calculus for Oregon with regards to their immediate future. Now, if the Big Ten came calling further down the line, would Oregon go? Yeah, of course. But they had every opportunity to do that. They opted not to. They parted ways with their commission and are, and are now going to bring in a new one. And we don't know who that is. We don't know what, what his or her agenda is going to be. So at the moment, this doesn't change anything for the Ducks. They are still looking to be going forward in the short and long term, frankly, at this point, one of the flagship institutions for the Pac-12 athletically. That's that's what it's looking like. And look, I, I get as you know annoyed and, and confused, frankly, at, at all this stuff as 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 anybody. And confusion is the biggest thing I'm feeling because 
I understand the Pac-12 wanting to present a united front, right? As presidents and athletic directors were making comments and Oregon wasn't really at that time. And, you know, part of that might've been interim president, but all part of that is also probably they want to keep their, their options fully open and not, you know, have this uh, full-blown PR campaign. If we're staying in the pack and we're going to do this and that, like they, they've put a statement out there saying, yeah, we're happy here, but it was kind of half-hearted and, you know, just kind of, yeah, we're fine here for now. But I think it's pretty clear if the big 10 gave an offer, they would go. And I understand why they would go. I wouldn't want them to, but I understand why they would. But the, the the presidents and athletic directors who have been going on the record talking about all of this stuff didn't have to say that the media rights deal was in its final stages, right? That was a that was a component that no one was no one was asking for, right? You you could have gone out there and said when asked about the media deal, we're all working on it. We have made progress. We feel confident about what we're going to be able to do. You, you could have left it right there and still presented a united front, shut down the Big 12 rumors and, you know, presented a perhaps clearer and stronger picture of the Pac-12 than a lot of people try to paint, broadly speaking. But they didn't do that. They opted to go for, no, yeah, we're going to have a deal done in the next couple of weeks, right? There was, you know, one president who said middle of March and then at the end of March, one president said in the next couple of weeks and another president said it's in its final stages. Like, well, what does that really mean? But it's not final stages if this is going to go until the end of spring. That being like May ish around there. Like, what is the what's the beginning of summer? Early summer. What's early summer? Is that June? We talking May, June? But regardless of all that sort of stuff, again, I don't think this changes the situation for for Oregon. Right? They don't have viable options outside of the Pac-12 right now because the Big Ten isn't going to come calling at this point in time. So uh, I, I really don't think that that changes anything. So back to spring practice here. Tosh Lupoy spoke to the media uh, the other day. Didn't say anything, you know, revolutionary. There were a couple quotes that uh, that I want to go into. Real quick, though, Troy Franklin uh, also spoke to the media after, uh, after practice uh, when asked about Will Stein's new offense. You know, he said it's a little different from Kenny Dillingham's. We don't really know what those differences are at this point in time. I've also heard rumblings of an offensive line reshuffling. It's early in spring practice, but that could be something to monitor. But Franklin said of the new offense, quote, it's a little different, but I like it so far. He was asked about Tez Johnson, the Troy transfer, who was Bo Nix's brother, and said, uh, you, you know, someone asked him, what does Tez bring to the table? He goes, speed. Man, that guy is fast and really, really emphasized it. And, and you know, Lanning had talked about previously how Tez Johnson needs to bulk up a little bit, which is, you know, I think probably pretty obvious to most of us, right? He's 150 pounds. Like he weighs less than I do at this point in time. So if he's going to be, you know, a, a consistent and durable player, hey, he's going to have to weigh a little bit more or he might get crunched out there. And we don't want that. But that that's why, I mean, the slot receiver position battle, is one of the most competitive and up in the air for either side of the ball, frankly. I could I could see a 50-50 split in playing time this year. Could totally see it with him, uh, with him and Chris Hudson. But Tosh Lupoy talking to the media, you know, recognized very openly that defense was not good enough last year and that improvement is needed, which look, it's not groundbreaking, it's not earth-shattering news to any of us as fans. 
But it is nice to hear that from a coach sometimes to not, you know, sugarcoat it, make excuses or anything. He's just said, no, our pass defense wasn't good enough last year. We couldn't get after the quarterback. We weren't able to, you know, be good enough in, in coverage. You know, we were good in some other areas, but we weren't good in those. We have to get better. That, that, that to me felt very honest uh, from, from Tosh, and I appreciate that. He also uh, made a couple other kind of hints uh, about what they didn't have last year. One of those hints was, was not to go to FanDuel, but that's more than a hint I'm going to give you right now because the NBA playoffs are here, almost here, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. You can also bet the Masters on there, golf betting, wildly electric, and there's a million things you can bet. And new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance to get that no-sweat first bet. You can also combine your pet, your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Up to $1,000, that no-sweat first bet, when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, so the uh, couple of the things that Tosh Lupoy said in you know eight minutes or so, and and the talking talking to reporters after practice was he he put it very politely and professionally, which is always what you want a coach to do when dealing with uh, you know student athletes and and young guys who are 18, 19, 20 years old, or twenty one or twenty two, or you know you got COVID years now. Some guys are twenty seven or something like that. But regardless, I thought he in a very you know, sugar-coated-ish kind way basically said that he and the defensive staff came in last year, felt like they didn't have enough players to be really impactful on defense, did the best they can, developed them as much as they could. But basically, my my, my takeaway, you can go listen to the quote. It's it's on YouTube for, for yourself. But I heard him talking about, you know, what, what they had when they got, when they arrived in January of last year, 2022. And basically he made it seem like he was, you know, making it work with what he had, but didn't feel like it was enough, which then turned into a question about Jordan Birch, who he said is uh, a guy who's got versatility, that he can be big and physical up front. And he's the sort of guy that you need to have defensively. And Lanning has said something similar as well in order to be effective as a unit. And I think that that's, you know, an encouraging sign. And the early returns in spring practice are good on Jordan Birch. We'll continue to, you know, see if if that is a, is a continuing trend throughout spring practice. But Oregon certainly needs him to be on, on that side of the ball. He also mentioned, like Dan Lanning, um, not surprised they've got a unified front here on, you know, a, a number of areas. But Tysheem Johnson mentioned his versatility. Tysheem Johnson was actually recruited. You know, he, he's a very physical guy, makes a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage, but he was actually recruited as a cornerback. And Lanning said he's a guy you can move around, not exclusively a nickel. Tosh said the same. I, I think he 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 plays his best based on what, you know, he showed in a couple of years at Ole Miss, right? Tackling machine. A lot of that stuff came around the line of scrimmage. Not saying he's never going to play deep in coverage, but it seems like that's where he does his best work as as a player. But, you know, have we seen as many snaps as Ole Miss fans? No, I might uh, should actually reach out to uh, our lockdown Ole Miss guy about about that and, and try to get more. So I'll get back to I'll get back to you on uh, on that a little bit more. But anyway, those are just the updates. Nothing too dramatic. The, the offensive line thing. 
they might be trying guys at different positions. I, I've, I've heard one way or another read this thing here and there about, yeah, you know, he's playing here, he's playing there. You never know who's injured. You never know who's, you know, uh, available and, you know, able to run with the ones as they'd like them to. So I wouldn't read too much into it yet, but that could also be, excuse me, a developing story. Uh, question here, and I apologize. I forgot to write down who this question came from, but you know who you are out there. Oh, I think it was Blazer Duck. Uh, it's always, always a fair assumption. Uh, and it was, Hey Spencer, Oregon has been the trend setting team in college football for the past 15 plus years, up-tempo offense, uniform designs and combinations, facilities and recruit photo shoots to name a few. What do you think might be the new trend setting revolution from Oregon, either on or off the field, by the way, as always, if you ever want in the mailbag, like laser duck, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks mentions and DMS wide open. You can also hop in the YouTube comments and drop one in there as well. You know, th this is a difficult question to answer. It reminds me a little bit of Hollywood. So Hollywood, when movies first started coming out and being a really big thing and mass media was taking the country by storm, right? Star Wars in the seventies and eighties. And then, you know, big movies in the 90s, and then you had more theaters, more access, and more people could watch. Eventually, you reached the saturation point where it got really hard to come up with new great content because it was just this massive blitz, right? Nationwide to make as many good movies as possible. And movies were so popular, and you know, there were there was so much money involved there that they made a bunch of them. That I, I feel like I've noticed over the last several years that the average quality of, you know, a big Hollywood movie. And actually I just, as I record this, I saw air earlier tonight and air is fantastic. It is. I mean, it's excellent. Matt Damon rocks as usual. He's one of my favorite actors. Chris Tucker's hilarious. Ben Affleck as our guy, uncle Phil is really good. Jason Bateman's good. Like great cast, great, great cast. And, and just a really well-made movie. I enjoyed it, but there aren't as many movies to me, it feels like, that I enjoy at that level that I need to go see in the theaters as there used to be. Because it just became so saturated so quickly that you, you put out a bunch of your good and best ideas. And, and then as time went on, it's like, okay, what's next? And that's why you see a lot of nostalgia plays. That's why you see a lot of, you know, reboots or remakes, right? They're doing another Indiana Jones movie. Why? Hard to come up with really good, really popular ideas, but Indiana Jones is popular because it was from that era. So going back to the question here, that's how I feel about, you know, being a, a trend setting school in one sense or another, because, you know, the uniforms, well, now everybody's got that and the facilities will, you know, all the big program. And when I say everybody, I mean, like all the big program programs, right? Everybody's got the facilities and everybody's trying to be flashy and everybody's, you know, up to their recruiting budgets. I saw a figure the other day that Oregon has one of the 10 highest recruiting budgets or had one of the 10 highest recruiting budgets in the country in 2022, according to on three is like $1.8 million. Right. And that was like number eight. I think Georgia was number one at like 3 million. So when you talk about, you know, what the next thing is going to be, it can be hard to predict because, you know, at a certain point you're going to max it out. Now, NIL could be I, I think the easiest answer here, perhaps, but overall, it's hard to know what the next big thing is because everybody's in that space, right? That's not unique to Oregon. And they have 
an NIL collective. And I don't anticipate that ever being a problem for the university of Oregon to, to handle and can, and compete with, you know, the top schools in the country who can offer kids, you know, big time NIL packages. But in terms of what's new, what's next, it, it, it's, it's honestly hard to say. Like I thought about this and I, I just don't see how, I, I don't know what it is. I don't have that creative of a mind in that particular space. Obviously, I try to be creative and, you know, entertaining and thought provoking on here in this space. But this is what I do for a living, right? Like, this is my job is, is to be a sportscaster and coming up with that sort of stuff. That's, you know, marketing and, and PR and branding. And that's like outside of my world of, of expertise. And, you know, I think for Oregon, all, you know, having done all that stuff has been really great and really valuable for the university and for and for the program but now it's just about winning right like that that's that's the biggest thing hanging over the university of oregon right we've all heard the tropes 2172 uniform combinations and zero national championships like okay wow good job guys you're really really scraping the bottom of the barrel there for uh for ideas and thinking long and hard about it but I think, I think that's where they are. I, th I think that's what, you know, the next big thing for Oregon is, is to get over that hump, find that team that gets it done, do it for uncle Phil, who uh, Ben Affleck was a dead ringer for in the movie, by the way, when you look at the young pictures of uncle Phil, it's pretty cool, but you know, that's Hollywood, right? Uh, there it's, it's their job to do that sort of stuff. Uh, okay. A couple of basketball things here to wrap up uh, this week of shows. So I saw the other day, uh, Jonathan Giveney. G-I-V-O-N-Y, Gavoni, I don't know. He's an NBA draft analyst at ESPN. And in Portland right now, there's there's some like Nike Hoops, Team USA, Summit. I don't know. There's a bunch of the best high school players in the country playing in Portland, Oregon, all over the place right now or, or somewhere around there. And, uh, and Jonathan, so I don't butcher his last name again, who, again, is an NBA draft analyst here for ESPN, tweeted out the following. Jackson Shellstad was the best player on the floor for long stretches at USA Basketball Hoop Summit practice yesterday. That's what it is. Took the paint repeatedly with his first step, made shots from all over, and showed live dribble passing prowess. Should be an impact player at Oregon next year. That excites me. It intrigues me. I do wonder. You know, Peyton Pritchard, when he came to Oregon, was a good player. He, he was a key part of that Final Four team. He was not the number one guy. So, Shellstad, the hype here, the hype train's just continuing to build momentum around Jackson Shellstad. And we all go straight to Peyton Pritchard and say, is it the next Peyton Pritchard? I would love for him to be more than anything, get Oregon back into the tournament, back into the national stage and contending to make, you know, a magical run in the month of March. As you all know, who listen to me regularly, I am very much dismayed that neither Oregon program was a part of March Madness this year, right? It stinks. On that note, by the way, India Rogers on the women's side, just real quick, she withdrew her name for the WNBA draft. Not sure where she's going to play next year. Sedona Prince, who got hurt with an elbow injury before the season, had entered the draft, pulled her name out. If those two are there with Van Sluten and Chance Gray, that could be massive for next year. But back to Shellstad here. So 
he's a guy who has a lot of fans excited because of that comparison. High volume, scoring point guard, great passer, handles, shooting, range from Westland High School. And the last guy we had to do that, of course, was Peyton Pritchard. It worked out very, very well. The most interesting part of, of this particular take from, from Jonathan, who probably scouts hoops a little bit better than I do. I am definitely an amateur on that particular fight. I've watched the game my whole life, but I think he knows it a little bit better. The line took the paint repeatedly with his first step. To me, when I look at the the player that Oregon is replacing from the starting lineup this year in Will Richardson and what he was not able to do down the stretch that he did do at one point in time in his career, but just the, the confidence wasn't there. I don't know if the, the injury was a problem or what, but one thing that I noticed and a lot of you fans noticed as well, and I think you're perfectly fair to do so, was that Richardson was not able to get by guys, create one-on-one opportunities as often. And if Shellstad's able to do that and break down a defense, it felt like that's what Oregon was missing at times. And there were times this year where it seemed like when Bartholomew and Kuznard were there and both of them could get by their defender to create dribble penetration, that was a boon for Oregon's offense. And sometimes Richardson could be a ball stopper. So, I think, and Richardson was a great passer in his career, but he wasn't quite as explosive and as dynamic of an athlete, I think, as Shellstat is looking right now. And if he brings that dimension in addition to the shooting potential he has to Oregon's offense, then he could be an impact player in one year. But I want to go back to Pritchard for a sec, because Pritchard is one of the best Oregon basketball players of the last 10 to 15 years. He carried a team to the Sweet 16, might have done it again had COVID not happened and was just really, really good in general and was an absolute baller. As a true freshman on that Final Four team, he was a role player. His role was shoot threes when you're open, facilitate every now and then, and rarely drive. And then by the time he was a senior, he was doing everything. Mid-range, float game, passing, shooting. He expanded his range even further. He could finish prolifically with both hands inside. So what I wonder about Shellstad, you you know, Jonathan is saying that he should be an impact player at Oregon next year. I would love for that to be the case. He and Pritchard had similar 24-7 composite ratings coming out of high school. But if Shellstad is someone who's got an even higher ceiling there, that could be pretty massive. Because if you're three-guard rotation, right, and they've got Jadrian Tracy, the Juco transfer, who's probably, you know, going to come off the bench in some role. But if you have a primary three-guard rotation, if Shellstad is as good as they're seeming to say he is, and then you have Kuznard starting at the two, and Bartholomew is a combo, excuse me, is a combo guard off the bench, that is a lineup of guards that can take you away in March. I 100%. If Shellstad is that number one guy, if he's that guy. That is what I want. Now, one of the guys I don't know whether or not he'll be playing with, because none of us know, is Quincy Garrier. It looks right now like Garrier is going to return. And look, I'm honestly indifferent on on Garrier. I'd be fine if he came back. If he left, I'd say we could add a transfer who, who could replicate or even increase the production we got from him or 
you could find someone who, you know, plays a different role, shuffle things around and that sort of thing. But, but if he does decide to come back, I'd be totally on board with that too. Cause you know what I saw from, from Quincy Gary all season long that I really liked. No matter the game, no matter the situation, I always saw passion from Quincy Gary. And what have we said about this Oregon basketball team for the last couple of years? They, they go through stretches where the offense is sluggish and they feel flat and they feel like they're playing down to their competition. I never felt like Quincy was one of the problems there. It, it seemed like every time I watched him, he was hustling. He was working hard. He's, you know, hitting shots as well as he can. He's got a pretty good three-point stroke. His, you know, the rest of his offensive game needs to develop a little bit. He could certainly be a candidate to, you know, be a, a graduate transfer somewhere else, or he could go play pro overseas, all that sort of stuff. But if he comes back, you know, he's started a lot of games. But then when Dane Altman had to change th- change things up, Gary is a guy who went to the bench. I got to tell you, I loved him off the bench. I thought that kind of lit a fire under him a little bit. And we saw even more of those hustle plays, even more of those extra effort plays, offensive rebounds, taking charges, you know, diving on the floor, scrapping for loose balls, all that sort of stuff. In addition to what he can bring you offensively. Now, he he can improve. I If he does come back, whether he's a starter or whether he's your first or second guy off the bench. I mean, if your first two guys off the bench are Quincy Garrier and Keyshawn Bartholomew, man. That that's pretty nice. <laughs> I would I would feel pretty good about that. And Garrier this year averaged nine points a game, just under five rebounds. He shot at 42% from the floor and 35% from three, both of which are solid numbers, right? Not elite, but not terrible. Like I don't feel you know, I there, there, there were there were times this year where it seemed like Garrier was a guy who Oregon uh looked to as a pivot point. What I mean by that is the offense opened up and was successful when he was hitting threes. And when he wasn't, the offense wasn't really there. So if he could, if he could shoot a, you know, high thirties, that would be even better. But honestly, the thing that I'd like to see more from him, 58% at the free throw line, he's like six, five, six, six. He might, he might even be six foot seven. Let me, let me look up his size real quick. He's, he's a guy who can score at all three levels, right? He's got the athleticism. He's got the skills to to do that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah, I was underselling him. He's six foot eight. So he gets into the paint, you know, athletically. He's a good athlete and he's got great size. But then when he gets to the line and can't convert, that's, you know, frustrating. And that's something that Oregon has struggled with the last couple of years. I think that's the biggest area where he needs to grow. You know, I think 42% from the field, that's fine. That's 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 completely as long as you're in the low 40s, that's okay. You'd love to see mid 40s and make the jump. You'd love to see high 30s from beyond the arc. But frankly, I think he could up his scoring output if he was just a little bit of a better free throw shooter and use that consistently as a part of his game. But he went through stretches where he'd have, you know, a a knockdown feel to him, right? Where every time he gets an open look, you're like, oh, that's going in. And, and guys like that, they're just not in plentiful supply for the Ducks right now. Now, we'll see what Jadrian Ch- Tr- we'll see what Jadrian Tracy – I think I'm getting his name right. I might have forgotten that already. Um, yeah, Jadrian Tracy. We'll see what he brings to Oregon. But 
I'm I'm curious to see what happens with Gary. And again, if he leaves, I don't think it's, you know, some level of production that you could just never find again. But if he comes back, I, I see clearly what his role could be, where he could improve. And I think he can give you a lot uh, for, for, for your basketball team. So curious to see what happens there. And with the rest of the guys as well. We still don't know on Enfali Dante. We still don't know on Gary. We don't know about Brandon Rigsby. Not too concerned about that, especially with the uh, – with the Tracy edition. So if you got any questions about it, by all means, let me know, you know, how by now appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks.